0: I'm going to do my best uh, Rod Serling impersonation. Okay. Okay, imagine... No. Let's just start. Imagine you're strolling with a loved one. You're both enjoying a sunny afternoon, casually trying to avoid a Karen or a Kyle douchebag type that seems to have suddenly started existing everywhere. You're in mid-conversation, describing a wonderful podcast you recently discovered hosted by a funny guy that talks about books, but also has has an ongoing storyline of its own. Sort of. It's it's kind of uh it's kind of inconsequential when you think about it I mean meaning you can jump into any episode comfortably and yet and still not feel totally lost overall it's mesmerizing and has totally drawn you in you know uh, you must know what's happening uh, it's unique yet it has a refined quality like a fine wine or mixing all the flavors of soda together at a gas station but for the years like like it's uh it's something that you you can you just can't quite um <clears throat> so you're talking about it okay going on about how you've told your friends family loved ones strangers not so strangers epidemiologists hairdressers people named tommy tammy john janey jimmy james james's brother ben their aunt the the attractive one not the not the big one nobody likes her not even ben i mean okay who isn't that great either I mean, let's be honest, because he's the kind of guy that would, you know, would never say he doesn't like you to your face, but would definitely do it behind your back. You know. Okay, you go to cross the street, jabbering away when when boom, you both hit by a bus. You've managed to live through it, but it's left you a paraplegic wheelchair bound for the rest of your life. The person you were with doesn't make it. Your life is wrenched from normality into tragedy by one catastrophic, fateful intervention. Only, unbeknownst to you, it wasn't. No, see, you were always supposed to be in a wheelchair. And that loved one was never supposed to exist at all. Your walking and your loved one's very existence was the abnormality. Your entire life was never supposed to be the way you've always known it to be. How do you find this out? Who tells you this? A complete stranger, who uh, has been stalking you throughout your entire life. They've been jumping in and out at key events to change things in your life for the better. What? What? How? Who? Who are you? Why would? Wh- when did they? Where? Where have, are you? Is this a conspiracy? Why won't they tell me? Why? Why? Conspiracy. Countdown for blast off. X minus, X minus five, five, four, three, two, X, X minus, X minus one. one, fire. Welcome to Elton Reads Book A Week, the only podcast on Earth. The sole occupant of its own podcast burning list. My name is Elton, and I read a book a week. The book this time is one of my personal favorites. Um, It's Lightning by Dean Koontz. It's an investigative look at the world of electric. It's an investigative look at the world of electrified erotic stimulation or shocking your balls for sexual gratification. A subject that, according to the book, is basically just variations of electrified nipple clamps and things that zap scrote. That's, that's slang for testicles for you sexually innuendo-deprived laymen out there. The book starts in the Dark Ages when a Jesuit priest attempts to harness the power of lightning by stripping naked and tying a lightning rod to his head. This is done in a desperate attempt to rid himself of sexual thoughts, while also reaching orgasm that, quote, would tickle the taint of the Almighty and make him weep with joy and shame. That's code for unreasonable expectations. Next, it takes the reader on a journey into the modern era of the, quote, voltage for vulvas movement, unquote, and its um, ongoing court battles to legally accept and define what can and cannot be electrified and used as a nipple clamp and or, you know, device to shock the balls. Those, again, are testicles for you laymen out there. Let me tell you, it was an eye-opener. I mean, the part about the inventor's grandmother walking in on him during an especially embarrassing quote-unquote test involving a car battery, a tinfoil hat, and a generous application of grape jelly is equal parts heart-wrenching and powerful and unsettling in an inexplicably arousing way. All in all, the book is engaging, and I'm not sure if you really know yourself as well as you thought you did. Kind of like, you know, looking into the mirror and seeing a stranger looking back. I gave it three dongs up, uh, or at least, uh, or at least I would have if uh, anything I just said was true. Other, no, no, no. Uh, other than it being one of my favorite books, being called and being called Lightning, and being written by Dean Koontz. None of that nipple clamp nonsense is true. Though I could see Dean Koontz using a lot of that in a future novel, maybe even the tinfoil hat part. Though there are some sexy ass moments in some of his books, a lot of weird ass, sexy ass moments, mind you. But some of them uh, some of that probably stemming from things we'll talk about in a bit, maybe. The real book is a lot The real book is a lot like what I described during the opening of this episode, the crosswalk hit-and-run thing. Although, full disclosure, uh, there is some weird pedo-gross stuff in this book. Not graphic, but still. Uh, yeah, <laughs> It's there. It's it's there to deepen the creepiness and illustrate how fucked up one of the uh, antagonists is. But, I mean, it's there. So, if you perked up for a second at the thought of finally some pedo-stuff in a novel to represent who I am, what my feelings are, acceptance at last, don't. It's not penthouse forum for kitty fiddlers. Instead, skip this story and uh, turn that disappointment into something productive, like killing yourself. No, this book is uh, about something different altogether. It's a rare blending of suspense and sci-fi that does a fair job of balancing the logic with the frantic pace needed to keep up the page-turning tempo. And personally, it is really one of my favorite books, like top 10 list material. In fact, when I found it in the backpack, I felt like I was cheating in some way. I have it in my head that all the books that I talk about in this podcast should be completely unread and, and new to me. But that's that's just nonsense, though, right? I mean, I'm sure that many of you have read the same book a few times over. Uh, so, I mean, why not? Why not touch on one that I've done the same with, you know, like uh, that I've done and, and read? So why not touch on one that I've read a couple of times and done the same with, right? I mean, but well, okay, maybe you haven't. But, I mean, I'm assuming. I'm sure that many of you have read the same book a few times over. Uh, So, I mean, why not touch on one that I've read a couple times and done the same with, right? I mean, but, okay, maybe you haven't. But, I mean, I'm assuming. Okay. But I've read this book at least seven times. At least. All right? Though, I promise, only one episode per book, unless requested to do otherwise. Because I'm easy like that. I mean, with requests. Now, when I read the note telling me to do this specific episode, I wrestled, but reached the conclusion, I just, wait, wait, let me, let me explain the note. I've been hiding out in my attic for a few days. Not because I want to, mind you. It's just the safest place to hide so I don't run into myself. After I did that episode about successful living, I grabbed the books under the table and bang, uh, I found myself in my bedroom on some other day. Thank God I didn't run into anyone. I mean, I'd hate to be uh, responsible for ending the existence of the entire universe. Fucking, I wouldn't be able to live with myself, even if I undid my existence, negating you know any feeling uh, negative or otherwise. Hmm. Still, it wouldn't be a bright spot on a resume anyway, would it? Unless you're Hitler. I mean, or Thanos, maybe? Right? Thanos doing terrifying, horrific things are good for murders, people, right? I'd imagine. Were they to apply for other villainous shit, ending the universe would bump their presse to the top of the prime candidate pile. We're looking for someone to take our child stealing organ harvesting chop shop to the next level. What do you think you can offer? Well, I once ended the uh, existence of an entire universe by accident. Wow. You murdered that many. Like, wow. Well, okay. Well, not, okay. Well, not exactly murder. More so that I made them never exist at all. And not just people, of course. Everything. Just undoing everything ever contributed uh, via interaction, manipulation, etc. You know, all the love, hate, thoughts, ideas, gone in an instant. And they they never had a chance to say goodbye to anything they ever loved or held dear. Just poof. Never, ever, ever, ever hear at all. (laughs) Ha! Ah, that's a shame. Not murdered, per se. Uh, And it wasn't even purposeful. We're looking for real intent and passion here. What would it be to snatch kids and harvest their organs if there were no passion behind it? It would just be the generic pedestrian harvesting of organs from unwilling children. No, 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 no. This organization has higher standards than just the -the run-of-the-mill flipping the innards of youngsters for fun and profit. We're not animals here, sir. You know, jumping around in time, not as fun as advertised either. It severely sucks, actually. It's a lot of trying to avoid your past or future self while, while cowering in fear in dark places. Stifling the urge to throw up. Don't like the constant fear of sending time into a death spiral? Maybe think about not traveling in time. I had this idea that it was going to be like Quantum Leap. That show from the 90s that starred uh, Scott Bakula as a time-traveling amnesiac named Sam Beckett. A scientist that holds multiple doctorates, but somehow still can't figure out how to fix his own fucking time machine. And he had one of the coolest sidekicks ever in the form of Al, a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. He was played by Dean Stockwell, who, as of my telling you of this, is 84 years young. That's stupid. He's 84 years old. That's old. Uh, And it's, you know, it's incredibly fucking old. But I hope he lives forever because he's awesome. It was a great show. Time travel uh, is shit. The hopping through history, dicking around with time, having adventures, putting right what once went wrong, some shit like that. Fucking none of that happens. None of it. None of it happens. I thought I'd bounce from point to point, not giving a real damn about the consequences and getting hit on by folks who were long dead before I was born, which is kind of gross, yet kind of sexy. All lies. Just another lie pop culture saddle me with. God damn it. Oh, and spoiler. See, I said it before. I said, spoiler, all those women Dr. Beckett made out with, and, and let's face it, fucked. They were the age equivalent of his mother or his grandmother and maybe even his great-grandmother. Let that settle in your brain and die there. While that might be a turn-on, For a portion of folks in the world, common consensus is it's fucking weird to slap nasties with someone your great-grandmother or great-grandfather might have been partying with. And by partying, I mean fucking. Ugh. God damn it. What did I just do? Before I get you totally stuck on the notion of people piping down your great-grandma or meemaw or nana, I'll press on. So anyway, I'm hiding in my attic. Uh, raring to go with another day of playing Anne Frank, though not with the constant fear of dying by Nazis. That's obviously far, far worse. That poor kid and her family. Ah, yeah, but I do have the constant fear that I might change the flow of time, maybe even destroying it altogether. Uh, and or undoing the nature of existence itself. Still, it's still not Nazis poor kid and her family. Fuck fuck Nazis. Anyway, I woke up and, and I was in a groggy haze when my eyes latched onto an envelope tucked under my old Spuds McKenzie trucker cap. Anyway, pen penned in neat lettering on its outside was the word titty. God god damn it. I opened it as quietly as I could without my anger boiling over and a small note Inside instructed me to record an episode about the book *Lightning* by Dean Koontz, and that uh, I could be expecting a guest. Well, what that meant, I didn't know. Eventually, I got around to setting up everything, working out some rudimentary soundproofing, uh, setting up the recorder, all of that. Then, shortly after, everyone downstairs went to work and school. And anyway, I felt a slight thump in my chest, like a like a pressure wave or, or, or something, and my ears kind of popped, like a uh, like a change in pressure or, or altitude or like you're going over a hill. It was like air equalizing or, or whatever. And then there's, a, then there's a strange fucking man in front of me. I immediately yelped like a startled puppy and threw an old Rubik's Cube and a broken lightsaber in seasons 1, 2, and 12 of The Simpsons at him. Fucking just ch- ch- chucked it. Because if anything, I'm, I'm a figuratively shit my pants and throw stuff while running kind of warrior a few minutes of the ducking cursing and epithets involving the eating of various kinds of ass later from his defensive position behind a fake Christmas tree supporting totes filled with somebody's penthouse collection. He explained how he came to just appear in front of me, what he was here for. And most importantly, who he was, he's sitting across from me uh, right now, looking a little arrogant and and kind of irked that I'm describing him to his face. Um, Don't, don't, hey, don't smirk at me like that, friend. Just thumb through those penthouses you've been eyeing up. I know. Yeah. From what I've heard, the best issues are on the right near the bottom. Not that I would know personally, of course. I'll be talking to him shortly. Uh, During an off-mic discussion, though, uh, he felt it was best uh to work my way through the book with you and uh, we'd all talk on the other side of it. He said it would work to uh to help to explain my situation better, give it context or something like that. Maybe maybe I'll finally get some answers and go the fuck home because this attic life is bullshit. Anyway, let's get into the book Lightning. It's author, the illustrious Dean Koontz. Uh how I think it's good and Broken at the same time, all while waiting to talk to a man who seems like pornography is foreign to him. Why are you taking notes, man? It's fucking weird. It's their magazine. They're uh, all right. Dean Dean Koontz is a a writer whose work regimen starts at six in the morning and doesn't stop until six at night. Jesus Christ. I write these episodes out and find myself wandering off into rabbit holes of insanity five minutes into typing. I'm terrible. I am my own worst distraction always. Dean goes for 12 hours straight. That's multi-leveled insanity right there. Look, here's an example of why I feel that way, why I feel that's crazy. When I found out about Dean Kuntz's daily 12-hour writing regimen, I I was tripping off into learning uh, that a fellow Dean... Mr. Dean Stockwell of the aforementioned Quantum Leap. Uh, he played Al, like I said earlier. to I mean, that, that was him in the show. Dean played him. Dean Stockwell creates collage art and crucifixes made out of dice in Taos, New Mexico. Why do I do this to myself? They share the same name. That's it. Well, and a loose affiliation with time travel narratives. Th- th- see, this is why I think I have ADHD. Should I seek medical help? Should I look that up? No! Nope. Damn it! Oh, also, I'm not sure if he's still creating any art, because uh, he suffered a stroke or two since the video I watched of him talking about it. Why do I know that? I'll call my doctor tomorrow. Back to Dean Koontz. The world-famous, best-selling New York Times number one 14 times over 16 of his books have risen to the number one position in paperback published in 38 languages, and has sold over 500 million copies to date book writing badass with a very strange hair situation. Strange might be a little strong, but I'm sticking to it. It, it might be a little insensitive of me, but when you go from uh, early photos on the back of many of his novels uh, that show a balding dean with a mustache... And a killer mustache, by the way. A Burt motherfucking Reynolds stash, A fast-driving, hard-living-on-the-edge, hard-partying, young Sally Field bent-over-your-trans-am's-front-seat mustache. The kind that commands respect when entering a country-western bar and may be entitled to a free beer or at least more respect upon purchasing a car. You! Hey there, you look like a man Who knows about cars and cool shit, sir? So I'm not going to beat around the bush. Here's the best damn price I have on that eight-year-old Honda Civic. I can't go any lower, and damn it, can I buy a beer for you before you do the test drive? That kind of respect. Damn it! After Dean Koontz underwent hair transplant surgery in the late 1990s, his subsequent books have featured a new, cleanly-shaven appearance with a fuller head of hair. Koontz explained the change by claiming that he was tired of looking like G. Gordon Liddy. And truth be told, I do have a book by G. Gordon Liddy. And Kuntz fucking nails the self-deprecation here. They're like fucking twins. <clears throat> Personally, with the new hair, I think he looks kind of like a cult leader. but He's not, mind you. Just He just looks like one. But that's, but that's just me. The world took a big hit not having that stash around, though. In my humble opinion. Born and raised in Pennsylvania... Everett, Pennsylvania on July 9th, 1945 to be exact, though Mr. Kuntz says he was born in Bedford, which is the county that Everett is located in. Everett, as of 2018, is a town of 1,731 scrappy citizens clinging to civilization in what has to be a constant ambiance of palpable despair. I'm surprised the wind doesn't occasionally whisper, leave here go what's wrong with you there's nothing here you're two hours away from baltimore and harrisburg those are real cities you should move to instead why am i still whispering oh right i'm the wind it's windy move i'm kidding partially I'm sure it's a quaint, cozy little town whose claim to fame seems to be three things besides Dean being from there. Those three things are thus, or this, thus, thus sounds fancier, thus, one. The town of Everett was originally named Bloody Run, named after a horrific event in the spring of 1761, 1763. I fucked that up. A company of Indian traders were encamped on the banks of the stream now known as Bloody Run. The traders were surprised at night by hostile Indians belonging to the Shawnees, Delaware, and Huron tribes. Apparently, they teamed up and high-fived, and uh, the Confederation of Six Nations of Indians uh, attacked the traders and uh, a number of persons attached to it. uh, They were massacred. And an immense amount of peltries, those are animal furs, uh, and merchandise were destroyed, amounting to, I'm not sure if this was right, $85,906. That seems like a lot of fucking money, but I'm pretty sure that's wrong. Anyway, that's what it said on the uh, the official newspaper report thingy. So I'm sticking to that number. I, it seems like bullshit, but whatever. Some of the traders were thrown into jail for their debts where they died. So how about that? Number two, it has a very nice 77-acre park where most of the town's events take place. So that's pretty cool for Everett, the 77-acre park. Uh, And number three, the town came to national attention when a 14-year-old boy was arrested for simulating a sex act on a statue of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that last one isn't a joke. That's real shit. One of their claims to fame is uh, a boy dry-humping a Jesus statue in 2014. The district attorney wanted to have the kid tossed in jail for two years for doing what I believe every person in history has done to a statue of one form or another uh, when they were coming of age. I mean, anyone who hasn't tried to get a simulated blowjob from Ronald McDonald in the playland where they were a kid, uh, kid meaning teenagerish, you know, uh, tween, that's a fucking thing now, To uh, tween to teen, um, they're just not living as far as I'm concerned. Two years for fake fucking plaster is a little much. Okay. So, yep. Uh, that's Everett. Plan your vacations now. Though, if you're some kind of statuary fornicator tourist, you might want to skip Everett. Though, though, if I were a concrete facsimile humper, uh, from a purely logical standpoint, you, uh, you would want to go to some other town like Everett to do that. You wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to get down on your own statues in your own town because that's a weird label to be saddled with, uh, living there, you know, especially with your neighbors. Hey. Hey, there's the there's the statue fucker. You remember how remember how they're always humping statues downtown? That's them. <laughs> Fucking statue fucker. Shit, shit. You think they fuck garden gnomes? Get the garden gnomes out of the lawn. Get them. No, nope. get them. Yeah, no. Pull pull little David in too, just to be safe. That was a little. those little um David the gnome from the from the Nickelodeon show. That's. There's a business called Kuntz Cole there too, in Everett. However, from what I could tell, the owner died in 2007. So I couldn't find out um, if he was directly related to Dean Kuntz. I'm just assuming, maybe, or I don't even know how he passed on either. But I can only assume that it was a you know desperate last-ditch bid to finally get the fuck out of old bloody run Everett. Dean grew up in a sadder version of Everett, in a two-story tar paper shack he described as being About 400 square feet. He actually keeps a picture of the shithole to remind himself of where he came from and to never, ever, ever return to Everett. Ever. Ever. His dad uh, was an alcoholic who had a temper and uh, was always getting into fights. This often led to his dad frequently losing jobs, which Dean and his wife would later figure out to be about 44 jobs in 34 years. Yeah, sweet fucking Jesus, that's a lot of jobs. According to Kuntz, the reason for all these jobs was because his dad had a tendency to knock his bosses the fuck out. A lot. How the fuck does that work? You'd think after the first couple of times, we're going have gotten around about the guy. It, hey, it says here on your application you have experience as a forklift operator. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, sir. Yes, ran ran one at uh, one of the last four jobs I had in the past year. I operated it, uh, accident free, and won two safety awards. Wow, that's great! Uh, we're really strapped for an operator around here, especially one with the experience. You know, uh, see, we load a lot of palletized cargo. Uh, so sorry, F- four four jobs in the past year. Uh, yes, yeah, sir. Uh, at my last uh, job, uh, uh, at my last four places of employment uh, over the last twelve month period, j- Jesus! Wait, wait, wait! Well, well, why did you leave those? Other... Oh, oh! Uh, uh, because I uh, I beat my supervisors mercilessly. Uh, uh, Right. Um. You know, don't call us. We'll we'll call you. And and, and please, um, don't don't hit anyone on on your way out. Books. Books were not really welcome in the uh, Kuhn's household, and they were actively discouraged as being a waste of time. (laughs) Uh, He said uh, he'd often have to hide them from his parents. Dean says that his childhood wasn't an unhappy one, though, and that happiness is a choice. Whatever that means. I imagine that might be true to an extent, but sometimes misery is just misery. I mean, when you're not allowed to read books because they're a waste of time, uh, convincing yourself that it's uh, your choice to make lemonade out of lemons uh, isn't really addressing the reason um, your father, you know, hates you and beats your mother with lemons. Though, hey, if you can fool yourself into a healthy outlook, who am I to say you're wrong? Other than, you know, uh, other than using logic, reason and reality, I guess. But who needs that shit, really? He turned his life into a 12-hour day write-a-thon that netted him a five-book deal with Amazon worth millions. Uh, for you know, and, and for what I'm sure is worth more than a bag of mom-beating lemons. I mean, for real. So what do I know? Mr. Kuntz says that his dad wasn't completely horrible, though. In fact, uh, he had a, he had a funny side to him and would invent things that no one needed. And uh, he had a real knack for selling these products into money-losing ventures. Often, he would convince people to invest in an invention of his that would be um, poorly thought out and would never sell. Then, after constructing a few hundred of those shitty inventions, he'd gamble or drink the money away and leave very little for the household to, you know, do things like pay bills and buy food, etc. So, I mean, great fucking guy, right? I mean, if you don't uh, include the shitty parent that played fast and loose with his family's well-being and happiness, I guess. Right? Books helped Little Dean escape into worlds that were, to him, a fuckload better than the real shit show that he was currently occupying. Um, His mother thought that they were a waste of time, as I mentioned before, and told him as much. She said... You should learn to fix cars because one day you'll have a car of your own and you won't be able to afford a mechanic to fix it. Dean recalled he later thought it was kind of ironic as books not only afforded him a car, but a mechanic to fix it too. (laughs) Ha! How you like them bombs, Mom? Being dropped on your book shaming, bitch. Maybe you can sell some of that humble pie you're choking down and get yourself another tar paper shack, but no garage. Because you can't fix the car, you don't have anyway. Boom again. Another bomb. Okay, that's me. He probably loved his mom. I mean, I just, anyway. Despite all of this madness, Dean wrote his first story at the tender age of 8 years old. It It was titled, The Magic Puppy. It immediately got him committed to an asylum for disturbed children. This was due to a phone call placed by an upset teacher who... Had to grade it. As would happen, she threw up all over herself while doing that. Um, Upon reading the tale of a puppy that dies from having too much sex with a deranged eight-year-old named Jean Toontz from Pennsylvania. She was so deeply shaken by what she read, she resigned that day, moving away and changing her name. But not before giving her phone number to the young dean with a wink saying, hey, you get older, you call me here. Let that sink in. And then forget it because it was bullshit. Imagine if it was real, though. Huh? Good God, what level of hell would we be living in? <laughs> no, his story named The Magic Puppy, uh, it filled 11 pages of tablet paper, which he thought made it an immense tale. The puppy was from another planet, and he drew the cover illustration, and he stapled the pages along the left margin, and covered the staples with uh, electrician's tape, and he sold the, the only copy to his Uncle Ray for two nickels. Man, imagine how much that, much that thing is worth now. His maiden uh, genre, therefore, was science fiction. Later, during his senior year of college, he won an Atlantic Monthly Fiction Contest and then uh, proceeded to not win anything ever again. This is a quote from his bio on his website. He graduated from Shippensburg State College, now Shippensburg University, and his first job after graduation was the was with the Appalachian, 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 I'm going with Appalachian because it sounds more hillbilly, because that's, see, that's I feel like I'm offending someone, but that's what I associate with Appalachian, you know, like, like comical hillbilly, it's not real people, I don't, anyway, Appalachian, poverty program. That was his first job, uh, was with the Appalachian Poverty Program, where he was expected to counsel and tutor underprivileged children on a one-to-one basis. His first day on the job, he discovered that the previous occupier of his position had been beaten up by the very kids he had been trying to help and had landed in the hospital for several weeks. Shit. I added the shit at the end. But, you know, shit. To clarify... Uh Koontz was hired a month after the school year started. That's what got him wondering what happened to the previous guy? I mean you can't start a school year without without a teacher in this class, right? You know, and then to be told, Oh, that guy, right. Yeah, he got his ass beat. So bad, he ended up in the fucking hospital. Like, whoa, wait, wait, who who beat him up? Was he in a bar fight? Was he was he boning down on a married woman and, and, and caught the wrong end of her husband? Is is, is that what <laughs> no, no, man. No, the kids cleaned his clock so bad, he may need to learn to walk again. Like, wait, what the whoa, whoa, kids, the kids in this class, the the kids that are now the kids that are now in my class? Like, oh <laughs> right, right, that's right. Yeah, I meant your class now. Oh, fucking good luck. Remember, no eye contact. Jesus Christ fucking Christ. So how did Kuntz not end up in traction, learning how to wiggle his toes again? He used the cunning art of tiring those kids the fuck out through through the use of games. And the, games, the game involved um, a semi-hardish ball. This is according to him. A semi-hardish ball. And uh, it was, the game was if you're not paying attention, I'll throw this semi-hardish ball at you and if I miss, you can throw it at me. At the time of your choosing. And this, apparently, kept him occupied enough to not plan his death by a thousand fists. Regardless, Dean grew tired of the live every moment like it's your last style of teaching and wanted to do something else like, you know, maybe, I don't know, write fucking novels because that didn't involve getting beaten to death. Though uh, he did get published during his teaching stint. It just it just wasn't great. Starquest published in 1968 was a novel he wrote around that time it was part of a double print jesus it was part of a double book printed by ace double meaning one half was written by dean Koontz and the other half was written by some other fucking guy think two books for the price of one all in one cover the publisher told him that since his novel was shorter than the other guys he'd have to take a smaller half of the advance and he'd have to pay the other guy more. So instead of getting uh, one thousand two hundred fifty bucks, he'd have to take a thousand bucks. Adjusted for adjusted for inflation, that's about uh, seventy three hundred bucks. A few year a few years later, uh, Dean Koontz ran into the other uh, a few years a few years later, Dean Koontz ran into the other author at a convention and found out that uh, he'd been told the same thing. That Koontz's book was longer, and that he'd have to take less. Unfucking believable. So Dean did what any rational man worth his salt would do. He threatened to firebomb the publisher's office, demanding either the money he was owed or a blood sacrifice to the Norse god Odin, which Dean was a devout follower of at the time. After a long standoff, which led to a national news coverage thing, and and Dean was arrested and dragged away while crying, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, He was sentenced to uh, 36 years in prison. Uh, Kuntz called the incident regrettable, yet inspiring. That's not true, of course, except for the publisher ripping off both authors. The rest is just my mental illness, making its presence known yet again. Forgive me. The following year was filled with challenges, but also tension. And Kuntz was more highly motivated than ever to build a career as a writer. He wrote nights and weekends which he continued to do after leaving the poverty program and going to work as an English teacher in a suburban school district outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. After a year and a half in that position, his wife, Gerda, made him an offer he couldn't refuse. I'll support you for five years, she said, and if you can't make it as a writer in that time, you'll never make it. Kind of a vote of confidence wrapped around a brick. A brick. Like, I believe in you. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be serious. It's, it only goes so far. He took her offer, of course, and worked that over like an ugly rented mule. During those five years, Kuntz churned out 26 books. 26. Which, if you didn't know, is a goddamn lot of writing. Of books. For context, there are 66 books in the Christian Bible. And that took 1,300 years to write. That was penned by multiple authors channeling the voice of God or something calling itself God or no God at all, just pure imagination. It depends on what your belief is, of course. Regardless, those writer the regardless, those writers were lazy. If God had farmed it out to Dean, he would have knocked that shit out in twelve and a half years. Some writers write, and some writers put in work. Just saying, God, next time you need a Bible, you might want to shop around, alright? Though to be fair to God, Kuntz's books didn't exactly sell or earn out, which in the world of writing means to generate royalties that surpass his advance. So, something to keep in mind if you plan uh, to criticize God on his writing, uh, on his writer hiring practices, okay? Regardless, Dean cranked out so many books that he and his wife were able to live comfortably off the advances. By the end of those five years, Gerda had quit her job to run the business end of her husband's writing career. And they've been married for about 50 years now, maybe, maybe more, probably more now. He continued to kick out novel after novel at a truly insane pace and improving with each one. In 1980, his novel Whispers became a number one bestseller. Uh, he had a string of these really great novels in the uh, 80s, with Lightning being one of them, uh, which was published in 1988. It was initially met with opposition from the publisher who felt it didn't fit into what they felt was his wheelhouse. And it broke too many of their quote-unquote rules. I'll let Kuntz uh, tell you about that regarding the publishing of Lightning. He says, uh, After Watchers, which is another one of his books, I delivered Lightning, and the proverbial dung hit the radiating fans of the air circulation device. Yeah. Yeah. Lightning not only broke most of the publisher's rules, it pulverized them. I was told that the book was unpublishable because, one, it was a suspense novel unfolding over more than 30 years of the lead character's life, though common publishing wisdom, henceforth referred to as CPW, insists that taut suspense cannot be sustained in a story with such a long-time arc. Two, The first quarter to a third took place during the lead's childhood, though CPW insists that this makes it a young adult novel of no interest to the adult reading audience. Three, the book contained more than a little humor, though CPW insists that readers will not abide the combination of suspense and horror. Four, the themes, according to my publisher, were too complex and profound for popular fiction, and most readers would be unable to understand them. I was told that Lightning could not be published after Watchers because it would chase away the steadily growing readership that I had developed with Whispers, Phantoms, Strangers. Those were uh, more three other novels that he wrote. None of them my original and preferred titles, by the way, he says. But that's another story. Watchers and other books. Uh, Anyway, they they said that Lightning couldn't be uh, published after those. For my own good, I was told to put it on the shelf and write another novel. My publisher said, in seven years after you've built a bigger and more loyal audience, we can risk publishing Lightning without doing too much damage. Seven years? I didn't understand why seven instead of six or eight or 400. All I knew was that I had worked hard on Lightning, not my original and preferred title, but that's another story. And that even though it was a very different book from those I'd done previously, I believed it would please readers who enjoyed Watchers. I insisted that it be published after Watchers, and this insistence led to an exhausting and depressing four-month wrangle with the publisher, before at last my point of view prevailed. They also gave him shit, by the way, for not having a dog in it. Apparently, if you have a dog in a few novels, it's expected that you should have a dog in every novel. Something fucking bizarre like that. So, what was the big deal? It was it was the time travel. It was too science fiction-y for the suspense crowd Kuntz normally wrote for or the crowd his publishers believed he wrote for. Here is where there are possible spoilers, okay? See, I mentioned it way ahead of time bef- before. Ahead, Somebody mentioned I didn't before, and I've apologized many times since then. So if you want to get off this train before Spoiler Town, this is the stop to get off on. Well, Kuhn said the story spans 30-something years, following the main protagonist, Laura, from birth to adulthood. Now... Imagine that like the publisher, you're thinking, how the fuck can a story span 30 plus years of someone's life and still be suspenseful? It's all about the who the fucks and the whys is why. Now you're thinking, Elton, that's gibberish. Take your meds. To which I would reply, I can explain the gibberish and I took my meds. Okay. How do you know about the meds, by the way? Are you following me? Who do you work for? Who do you work for? Conspiracy. What I mean by who the fucks is the plot device of a sinister character's identity being obscured from the protagonist throughout the story. I'm sure there's an actual name for that, but I'm a simple-minded stooge hopped up on Met. I wouldn't even know how to Google that. An example is the protagonist is sitting in a hotel lobby waiting for a friend. Board emerges him to, you know, Watch other people. People watch a little bit. Suddenly, across the room, he locks eyes with a person that he's seen before. They've seen them a lot before. They've seen them lots and lots. Who the fuck is that? Why are they following me? How do they know about my meds? What the hell is happening? Conspiracy. You get the idea. The wise are, of course, the wise. Why is that guy following me? Why are they always doing that thing I see them doing? Why are they always the same age? So on and so on. So, as we follow the life of Laura, these two devices, or whatever smarter people would call them, are used to elicit this suspense. Mr. Koontz is, according to the internet, apparently a master of. A very quick rundown that won't give too much away, because you really should read this novel. It's fucking great. It's pretty fucking great. We open with a rainstorm pelting a suburban house. It's the house of a doctor. He's old, he's grizzled, and drinks like a fish, despite being the on-call doctor at the hospital that night. What's wrong with that, you say? He's on-call is what? Doctors who are on-call aren't supposed to drink. Why? You seem to be asking. Well, if you're asking why, then you may be seeing a window somewhere where drunk doctors being on-call to work on patients is all right. If this is the case, first... I think you need to raise your expectations for physicians. Now, the doctor is called because there's a difficult birth. And so he says, fuck it. I'm a little tipsy. Well, a lot tipsy, you find out. But he he thinks, fuck it. I'm going to go and and jump in the car. He gets all the way out to his car. And a guy knocks in his window and he says, uh, get the fuck out. He waves a gun in his face and he's like, you're not going to the doctor. You're, you're not going to the doctor? You're not going to the hospital, you drunk piece of shit. And that man, as it turns out, uh, is a blonde guy uh, that Laura will keep seeing throughout her life. Who the fuck is he? He seemingly keeps bailing Laura out of predicaments, potentially life-altering predicaments, like a drunk doctor delivering her at birth. Some changes uh, Laura becomes aware of, and some um, are behind the scenes, like the birth thing, like the taking the doctor out of the mix thing. Uh, you know, such as life. In the, uh, is this guy that uh, Laura keeps seeing a blonde guy? By the way, is he an angel? As uh, Laura comes to think, uh, she thinks he might be. He never seems to age, and like I said, he's blonde, and you know. So does that mean hot? Is he fucking? Is he hot? Because, you know, blonde, I guess people associate. Anyway, doesn't fucking matter. It's just my head. It's a mind's eye kind of thing. I just assume it was hot because I'm fucking weird like that. Who would imagine an unfortunate looking hero is what I'm saying. Unless you're explicitly told to imagine that, which isn't the case here. So hot. Go with it. Oh, and there's a lot of gunplay. There's a, there's an orphanage, a perverted rapee child molester named Willie Sheener. Which let's face it, if your name is Willie Sheener in real life, probably a child molester. I'm just, that's okay, that's not right, but come on. Just listen to how it sounds. Willie Sheener. It can't it can't just be me and Dean that think this. I mean he made it up, but I mean come on. Think of a fucking better name for a child molester. Ugh. Look, if you do have that name, maybe think about changing it as all well because people I mean people probably think you're a child molester or worse. I don't know. No, you know, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. Anyway, there's a fucking awful foster family in there too, which is a tired trope. I mean, but it serves its purpose. Uh, There's a set of twins that Laura befriends, uh, named uh, with really old lady sounding names. Uh, They are Thelma and Ruth. Sure, while it might turn out that Ruth has uh, taken on a probable uh, hipster coolness as of late... Uh, I'm assuming Thalma is still Thalma. okay? Don't do that to your kid. Uh, if you're gonna have a baby, don't, don't, don't. Unless you're a big fan of The Simpsons, uh, Marge's sisters, and you hate your unborn and you hate your unborn child. That's I mean, you might as well name your daughter Granny Punchbag Friendless. By the way, Doctor Ruth, way too old to be talking about Dick. She still does, and I mean, it is it's sweet. You you want to hug her. But then, while you're hugging her, you you kind of want to pat her on the back and ask her to stop talking about all the fucking and all the dicks. I mean, so much. It's so much. Fuck, fuck talk from an old lady. I mean, look, look her up, Doctor Ruth. A weird combination of yuck and awe. Regardless, if you're a hipster parent and you don't mind uh, talking to your daughters about why they're getting beat up uh, for their goofy names, uh, maybe Thelma and Ruth are for you. Okay, and if there are Thelma and Ruths out there. I apologize. I'm pretty sure you know the pain. Throughout all of this madness of the protagonist growing up in a really, really, really unfortunate situation of being an orphan, foster families, and weird pervy perverts, she keeps seeing this mystery man from time to time, often with years in between visits. Laura becomes a writer, gets married, and has a child. With her weird run-ins with Blondie McMystery Man, eventually those visits fade into like a personal legend of hers. And then all is well. Well, that is until a snowy night on a mountain road when the family, uh, when the happy family, her, her husband, and her child, are stopped by the blonde guy, Laura long ago relegated to a figment of her you know, imagination. She tells them, uh, he tells them, to quickly move their jeep off the road. While Laura's husband questions the situation because he's like, who the fuck is this guy? Laura recognizes the blonde guy and immediately tells her husband, do what he says. So off the, off to the side of the road they go, just in time to see an out-of-control big rig sliding down the hill in front of them uh, that would have swiped them the fuck off the road had they gone any further. Uh, husband is astonished and Laura tries to explain. Then, from off... <laughs> camera uh gunfire from a strange yet unnamed man like i said uh it's a great book um someone dies many people die um lots of lots of crazy shit anyway you know, it's very suspenseful despite the story spanning decades it's well done read it read it read it have you ever read a novel of course uh, of course, you probably have, um, but you can visualize it playing out in your head. You can really imagine it being made into a movie. The scenes basically are movie scenes. This is one of those books. If uh, And I mean, if done right, it would be amazing. There are lots of twists and turns that I won't give away because they're amazing. So uh, you know what? I'll just leave it at that. I want you to read the book. Read it. Now I do. I did have an issue with the book. It's a minor one, but it got a fucking it got to me. Part of it is a spoiler. So, spoiler, uh, the blonde guy is a time traveler. As it happens, the lightning that accompanies his jaunts throughout time is an atmospheric disturbance meant to equalize his presence in a time and place he naturally shouldn't be in. See, he's been jumping into pivotal moments in Laura's life, helping to make changes that would ultimately steer it, her life that is, in a better direction. Case in point, you find out that when the blonde guy... Whose name is Stefan, by the way? Uh, when he talks to uh, when he talks to Laura about meeting Laura, it turns out he met her in an alternate timeline where she was in a wheelchair. Another spoiler there. Sorry. This was due to the doctor in the storm that the physician on call that was drunk in an unaltered version. Before Stefan jumped in, he was tanked. Went off to the fucking hospital to deliver baby, botched it, and ended up uh, crippling Laura. So, he fixed that. See? Stefan, who uh, has taken a liking to Laura, shows up to change uh, her life in the name of love. Let's face it. Nothing gets you love and it's sweet, sweet rewards. Like explaining to a girl you saved her from a lifetime confined to a wheelchair. You can practically hear the panties dropping from the women thinking about it. You saved me from a lifetime of paraplegia? Well, let's get these functioning feet up in the air, sailor, and get into the hardcore gratitude sex, fuck stallion. Should we get it done here, or is there a seedy, hourly-rated motel nearby? He does this a few times with varying degrees of success, meaning some people die. It would have uh, been preferable that they didn't, but, you know, it's it's what it is. You know, you win some, you lose some, right? At least you're not confined to a wheelchair, honey. Quit being a Queen Debbie downer there. Laura, the reasons for these near misses and him trying to hit the picture perfect uh, life goal are what gets me. Stefan explains that nature will not allow a paradox to happen, including meeting oneself and that for some reason, time will try to correct itself when changed from its original orientation. Like for instance, it constantly trying to correct back to Laura being a, Paraplegic. I talked about this in the Time Traveler's Wife episode. I will beat the fuck out of this dead horse again, because let's face it, it's not going to fight back now. And how often do you get to beat on a on a figurative horse and get away with it? First, a few quotes to give my nitpicking a little context and a more substantive feel, if you will, and to make me sound smarter than I actually am. Time and tide wait for no man a proverb uh, recorded as early as 1225 and is reputedly a quote from St. Marar or St. Marar. I don't know. I'm not St. Marar. I'm terrible at names. In fact, it is believed that the expression time and tide wait for no man is actually much older. The next quote, quote, the two most powerful warriors are patience and time. Leo Tolstoy said that. Here's a good quote about time that sounds like it's about time travel, but, you know, it's not. But it's still cool as fuck, though. Time is the longest distance between two places. Tennessee Williams said that. uh, Well, he wrote it in The Glass Menagerie. And, of course, and, of course, the tour de force. How did it get so late so soon? Dr. Seuss. Fucking great. The great Dr. Seuss. What do all of these quotes tell you about time? Well... Well, they tell you that time doesn't give a fuck about you. It's time. Time doesn't think. It just moves along. You know, fucking time doesn't care. It keeps rolling forward, or from one thing to the next, at least. Being that, as it may, it doesn't have a plan. There's no right circumstances or wrong ones, only cause and effect. Koontz uses the time travel trope of time needing to correct itself, so the antagonists are fighting against it to keep things the way they want. Laura was a orig- witch was originally Yeah. Laura was originally supposed to be in a wheelchair, wheelchair bound. So time for some reason keeps trying to massage moments into putting her into a fucking wheelchair again? That's insane. Time time is one thing happening that affects the thing after and affects the thing after, so on and so on. It's not like Time is some fucking jerk-off in a room saying, Nuh-uh, you're supposed to be dead for the waist down. This isn't the fucking plan. Damn it! now I have to change all sorts of stuff to make this work out. Motherfucker. Why? Why don't you just like being in a wheelchair for the rest of your life, you stupid, stupid asshole? No. A change occurring would only mean that the events after it would be altered. Dude, the time doesn't care about the events being altered. It, it, it's just going to change and triple on and, and trickle on and trickle on trip on the universe and everything would indeed be altered sure but time itself isn't planned or counting on things to go one way or the other it's like thinking water or the element argon has a plan they don't time doesn't care about events their effects or anything it's it's just going to plod along like any other time that's not that's not a pun is it No, I don't think so. If it is, I'm sorry. Regardless, overall, with the constant heart-racing fear of death and other outside forces at work, which I won't tell you about because they're good and you should read this book, it's all still fantastic. It should have been made into a movie a long time ago. But, I mean, given the caliber of adaptations made of Kuntz's books into movies, it would probably suck some severe motherfucking ass. Affleck in Phantoms, yo. Phantoms was a was a Dean Koontz movie. Yeah, it was it was not not great. I don't know how good he was in it, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't all that great. Hey, so you made it to the end of this thing. Only it's not really the end. Nope, I fucked up and I made this way too long. So actually, this is the end of part one. Uh, part two, I'm editing right now, and it's—it's. It's, I tried to edit it down to make sense, and it just—it just kept falling apart on me because I'm not really good at editing very well. So, um, thank you for getting to the end of this one. Uh, part one, uh, part two should be coming out very shortly. So, um, <clears throat> thank you for listening. Uh, I appreciate you so much, uh, and if you can uh, share the podcast with somebody. Um, give it, a, give it a five-star review too, or, or a five-star rating review, both, both five-star five stars and uh, good, good review, you know, or, you know, some constructive criticism. I'm all right with that too. Any of that, uh, hit me up on all the social media, hit me up on all the social medias. Holy shit. I can't talk right now. Uh, so hit me up on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, TikTok even. I have a TikTok for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know how to really do that. But I have one of those. So you can message me on there. You can message me on any one of them. And email too if you really feel like doing that. I don't think a lot of people do that nowadays. But uh, anyway. Any, any one of the social medias you can hit me up on. And I will answer back. And, uh, also, if you really want to contribute, I mean, if you really, really like this thing and want to help it grow and get better, you can help me produce the thing by, uh, contributing via patreon.com or, uh, anchor.fm to the homepage for this podcast. Um, I'll put the links down below. I'll, I'll put the links in the description because I said below, and that makes no sense. Uh, contribute as much as you want or, you know, however you want. So, um. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, do me a favor. Uh, w- would you read a book this week? Um, don't let them die out. Okay? Thank you so, so much. So much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.